0: Open up to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 12 through 19 this morning, and as you're turning there, I want to start with a story. My mom, I love my mom, uh, she's a wonderful woman, she tends to be very anxious, and my mom told us once that if we ever had to give her bad news to make sure she was sitting down first, I, I... I don't know, I guess she was afraid. I've never known my mom to faint. I don't know if she was afraid that she would faint. But she said, you know, if you ever have to call with with you or I have a brother, you or your brother or your dad being hurt or injured or something, please, before you tell me what's happening, make sure I'm sitting down. Now, that plan doesn't actually work so well. Because one time I had to call her and, and I started with, now, Mom, are you sitting down? I mean, you can imagine her first response was not, hold on, let me find a seat. It was, what's wrong? <laughs> like, she didn't care about sitting down anymore. And I was like, mom, you told me to make sure you were sitting down. Are you sitting? And now she's mad at me, right? For so my brother had been in a car accident. He was fine. He was a passenger. He was fine. He was taken to the hospital. He was fine. But, you know, I knew my mom wouldn't take it so well. And, and so this is the way it happened. And, and I think she was afraid of, of hearing something just so surprising, so traumatic that she would stumble or fall or, or something. But her preparation for the surprise kind of made it worse in many ways. Because it took something that, I mean, yeah, it was serious, right? My brother's taken to the hospital. But it really, he was fine. It was just a precaution. But it kind of took it to the next level of her being afraid that somebody had been seriously injured or, or even killed. I don't think, as individuals, we tend to like surprises. Now, some, I mean, there's the good surprise, right? A gift that you weren't looking forward or that you weren't expecting, maybe a, a surprise birthday party. Um, speaking of which, it's Gibson's birthday today, just saying. Uh, but it's <laughs> what you get when your dad's a pastor. Uh, but surprises are, you know, how many of you would say you like surprises? Anybody? You're one of those? Yep. yep. It's a minority, I would say. I, I, I don't know. I, it depends on the surprise, I guess. I don't really care either way. But in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, Peter instructs us to not be surprised by something. And he starts right out. Let me read the passage for you. It's in verse 12 where he mentions this. I'll read all the way through verse 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, if you suffer, It should not be as a murderer, or thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do so. Peter is starting the last section of his book. And he starts, of his letter rather, he starts with the same theme that he's been talking about throughout the entirety of the letter, suffering. And it's interesting because the commentators talk about this last section as being primarily one of encouragement, Encouragement. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is, has come on you to test you. That's not necessarily how I would start a, a encouraging statement to someone. But he is going to, throughout the rest of this chapter uh, and into chapter 5, encourage us and encourage his readers who were going through a very difficult time as their culture was beginning to turn against them beginning to reject what they believe, beginning to kick them out of their homes, out of the marketplaces, out of society in general. They were experiencing what we might call the beginnings of or light persecution. They were not yet rounding up Christians and putting them on trial and and putting them to death. That would come soon, actually, in the next decade or so after Peter wrote this, those things would begin. But they were experiencing the beginnings of it. So I want to start by looking at the surprising nature of suffering. Surprising nature of suffering. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Why? Why is it that suffering in the Christian life, that persecution, that difficulties, why is it that, that we would be tempted to be surprised at this? I think part of it is that we have a concept of what should be normal. Normal life should be things in general going okay. Things in general going correctly and smoothly. And when things aren't going well, we feel it. How do I get back there? What's wrong? How how do I recover that sense of normalcy in our life? Or things are going incredibly well. We say, oh, these are just kind of mountaintop experiences. These are peak moments. And that's great. But we know, you know, in general, it's going to go back to normal. The biblical picture abnormal, is really up and down and up and down as we experience so many difficult and different things throughout our life. But I also think that as Christians, there is a concept as we look at creation, God created us to live in a relationship with him. That should be normal, to live in his perfect presence without sin. Wouldn't that be great if that was normal? And we could flip to the end of the story, all the way to Revelation, and we can see we will spend eternity in his presence through Jesus Christ. That will be the new normal. Won't that be great? But now we live here, and so we struggle with why is it we go through difficult times? Peter is addressing us as we live in this world now, that we must come to an understanding where we accept and maybe even expect, suffering in our life. Now again, how is that encouraging? I mean, don't you want someone to say, oh, you'll never have to suffer again. All the suffering will be done away with. But that doesn't help you when the suffering comes. Suddenly that wisdom, that that way of living doesn't help anymore because it's out of line with what you're experiencing. The truth is, the more that the culture of this world becomes out of line with who God is. The more this world wanders away from God and goes in its own direction, the more suffering God's people will experience. Feeling encouraged now? He calls it a fiery ordeal. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Now, we know later on, Nero, the Roman emperor, would literally set Christians on fire. Alive. This would be his way of torturing them and putting them to death. Maybe that's kind of what Peter's talking about. Maybe he sees some of that coming, but I, I don't think so because the context here is more of a refiner's fire. Peter is saying that we should not be surprised that God would put us through situations that not only test but also refine our faith because God has a plan for what we going, we're going we going through. And he doesn't waste those things. There's a purpose to it. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter starts his book by, by reminding the believers who they are in Jesus Christ. They have been called to be God's people, chosen by God. If we look back at 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7, he says this, In all this, the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he starts by saying, don't be surprised that you're going to go through difficulty. Don't be surprised by suffering. And he goes on to explain God has a refining purpose for that suffering in our lives. Don't look at it as something strange. Look at opportunities in your life, difficulties, and say, what is God teaching me through this? Specifically, Peter is talking not just about general difficulties, but when someone is testing your faith, when someone is persecuting you for being a Christian, ridiculing you for being a Christian, to say, I have an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this moment. To demonstrate that gospel, to grow in that gospel. God is refining my faith. And he goes on in verses 13 and 14, But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now what is Peter talking about? Participating in the sufferings of Christ. What Peter is doing here, and what I I pray as Christians we would learn to do, is he is applying the gospel to what they're going through. Applying the gospel to their situation. You see, we look at the gospel. Jesus Christ died, the Son of God. He died on the cross to save us from our sins. He rose from the dead. We have eternal life in him. The most powerful truth ever. Life-changing, earth-shattering truth. We look at that, though, and say, well, yeah, I, I believed in the gospel one time when I was five or when I was 10 or when I was 20 or whatever. That time, back then, I believed the gospel. Peter says, no, apply the gospel now to what we're going through each and every day. Look at your life, your situations through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first point of the gospel is Jesus suffered. The Son of God left the throne of heaven, came, was born among us, and suffered. So, if that's the starting point of our salvation and our identity through Jesus Christ, why is it today that as Christians, we seem to think that becoming a Christian means we will never have to suffer at all? Peter's saying, no, look at it through the lens of the gospel. If he suffered, we will also go through difficulties. Now, there's a huge difference here. I want to make sure this is clear. Christ's suffering for us is what saved us. Our sufferings for Christ do not save us, okay? We can't climb up on a cross, pay the price for our own sin, and raise from the dead. The Son of God did that in our place. Our suffering is because we are trusting in that. We are living out the reality of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Peter's turning his readers back to the gospel. Why should we be surprised that the world that looked at the Son of God and did not accept him and chose to persecute him and put him through suffering, even suffering unto death, why should we be surprised that they would treat us differently? Instead, we too will share in his sufferings. But here's the encouragement. If we share in his sufferings, we will also what? Share in his glory. See, the gospel is a package deal. Suffering that led to Glory. Suffering that leads to glory. Again, he's applying the gospel. The gospel says that after Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, suffered, he went to the grave, and then he was resurrected by God, brought back to life, and offers new life to all who believe. And Peter is saying if we believe the gospel, then we are holding on to the truth that God can bring us through suffering to new life in Christ, resurrected glory at the right hand of the Father. So don't miss this. If you are in a situation, if we as a church get in situations where we are suffering for our faith, I pray that it would be a reminder and even a proof that the gospel is real, that it is true, and that we know in the midst of that suffering glory is coming that that suffering is not the end of us that's the pattern of scripture suffering that is followed by glory that's what christ went through and accomplished it for us it's not that we rejoice because of the suffering oh god we just thank you so much that we are having a horrible awful time in our culture and that we're being persecuted that's not what peter's talking about We don't rejoice in the suffering. We rejoice in how God uses it in our life and through us in the world. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, this is interesting. That phrase, the spirit of glory and of God, rests on you. I believe Peter's pulling that out of the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah is talking about this coming Messiah, and he says this coming of Messiah will have the spirit of glory and of God in him, resting on him. The spirit, this is Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, the spirit of God shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and godliness. This is one of the ways they would know the Messiah that was coming, have the spirit of God resting on him. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12, Peter said the spirit of Christ spoke through the prophets predicting the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And now he's taking that same idea and saying that spirit, that presence of God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that spirit is in you, resting on you, is with you even in the suffering that you struggle with. The gospel says that because Jesus Christ died for us, taking away all the punishment for our sins, that God's presence comes in to us. We are with Him forever. And that presence throughout all of Scripture, and hopefully in our life, that presence makes all the difference in the world. It is a gospel-made difference. And it is that presence, even in the suffering, that is the hope that we can hold on to. One commentator says society may judge the gospel to be irrelevant or even evil, but it is God's judgment that ultimately will stand. The Christian who stands fast and suffers for the gospel is responding to an eternal reality that will outlast death and even history itself. We need a better perspective on suffering. In chapter, or verses 15 through 16, he talks about two different types of suffering. He's talked about suffering for Christ, but now he goes into, in verse 15, a different type of suffering. If you suffer, should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. See, see, Peter wants to acknowledge, and, and I think we need to acknowledge too, sometimes our suffering is our own fault. right? And, and we might claim, oh, I'm, I'm suffering for my faith. Well, yeah, but you really messed up there. You, you did something that was wrong. That's, that is why you're suffering in this instance. And he gives this list of things, murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, criminal or even as a meddler. I, I believe Peter is challenging the Christians here. And I, I think as Christians, we really need to hear this today. When the world turns against us, we can have this mentality of, well, then I'm turning against the world. But if they're not going to accept me, I'm just going to fight them. They're hurting me so I can hurt them right back. I can do whatever I want because they're not treating me the way that I should be treated. Peter has talked about this throughout his letter. He talked about a wife that was in a situation where she became saved and the husband didn't. Even a slave that became saved and his master wasn't. And he didn't say, you get to rise up and fight and overthrow them. He said, no, you need to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's exactly what he's tying into here. We don't get to go out and just rebel against the world and all of the world's ways and overthrow the world. That's Jesus' job. Our job is to trust the gospel and live it out in our life. Is there ever a time for fighting? For raising up a coalition? Yes, maybe. But that shouldn't be the first place that we jump to. The greatest way that we can overcome unjust and ungodly situations in this world is by trusting and living out the gospel in our lives. We must keep doing that. In verse 16, he says, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Do you know what the word Christian literally means? Little Christ. It it came about in the early church as as a way of kind of a name that they would call followers of Jesus. And they meant it to make fun of them. Oh, you're just a Christian. That guy, you claim to be the Messiah and we put him on the cross. Yeah, we beat him and you're just a, a little Christ. And the Christians are like, yeah, we like that. That's exactly what we are. We're just little Christs. We're we're here to demonstrate Christ. And it's like the world's going, yeah, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Isn't it funny when somebody means something as an insult, then you're kind of like, yeah, I sort of like that. He says, don't be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name. The New Testament world was a, a shame and honor culture. Your social status was determined by the honor of your family. The honor of your social or political or, or economical situation. And when someone in your family did something that was improper or out of line or, or illegal, it brought shame on your family. As Christians, they were bringing shame on their family. They were acting in ways that were out of line with their culture. The wealthy were associating with the poor and treating them as equals in the church. They were gathering with people that weren't in their social circles and they were getting together for Bible study and prayer and <gasps> sharing a meal. They were breaking the culture of shame and honor and showing and living a different way. And so Peter says, don't be ashamed. Don't accept the shame that your world is putting upon you. You know, a lot of people talk about how modern Western culture isn't really a shame and and honor culture anymore, but I think we're actually going back toward that. I think social media is a powerful example of this. Your public perception is dictated by all your social media posts and how people view you. That's your honor. That's your glory. And if you can shape that and make sure people see you appropriately, that's your public perception that's out there. And we carefully... Craft that. The Christian life will always be out of sync with the way the world looks at honor and the way the world looks at shame. Because the gospel defines a new standard for shame it's the shame of being dead and lost in sin. And it it defines a new honor. It's the honor of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, being changed and transformed and saved by Him. Christians who trust the gospel will live out a different standard in this world. And so Peter is saying, don't give in to their sense of shame and honor. Don't be ashamed that you bear the name of the guy they hung on the cross. It's the exact opposite. Experience it as honor. The world today needs to see the honor of the gospel being lived out in our lives. They need to see a different way, a different standard. If we suffer now for Christ. See, see Peter says suffering might come. Don't be surprised by it. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. See, part of this is Peter looking at their life and saying, look, you're going through a difficult time. What are you going to do with it right now? When the difficulty comes, are you going to give up on Christ and run away? Are you going to say, this is too hard. I'm out of here. I'm I'm going to go back to something comfortable. Or, and I think this is kind of the, the modern way we deal with it, and they dealt with it that way back then too. Well, we'll just change a few things we believe. We'll make it more socially acceptable. It's the same thing. That's the same as giving up on Jesus Christ and walking away. And so Peter is saying, but if you are willing to hold on to your faith and stay even in the suffering, you are declaring that you believe in something greater than what this world sees. I was thinking of it this way. Imagine being in high school And the school bully comes up to you and says, after school, I'm going to beat you up. You walk out that door and I'm going to be right there waiting for you. What are you going to do? I'm going some other door. (laughs) I'm going home some other route because I'm scared to death of that guy. Or, what if I know at that time... My six foot five linebacker of a brother picks me up at that door. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to walk out that door and greet that guy and say hello. And he's going to think, why are you intimidated? I'm going to be like, yeah, I'll turn around and look. You see, the gospel's bigger, stronger than the persecution and the suffering that we go through as Christians. Christians. And by enduring even in the suffering, by holding on to our faith, we are making a declaration. And this is what Peter is challenging us to do. Hold on to your faith. He is bigger. Don't let go of the thing that is at the root and the foundation of what you are believing in. We must not be surprised by the suffering for the gospel in this world. Instead, we should rejoice that we are experiencing the truth of the gospel. Suffering that will be followed by glory. But as we go through this, we're going to feel an injustice of it. That something is not right. And that's good. That's true. Look at verses 17 through 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? When we go through suffering in difficult times, when we see someone that we love going through suffering, we, we want to cry out to God, God, when are you going to make this right? And when are you going to overcome the, the sin and change everything and make it right? This is one of the reasons a lot of people refuse to receive Jesus as their Savior. Well, if God really loved us, wouldn't he make it all right and cause all the bad stuff to go away? look at what Peter says. It is time for judgment to begin with God's household. God's household is a way of referring to those saved by Jesus. He's talking about the church. He says, let's, let's start with the church. Let's have judgment start with us. So then we need to ask, what does he mean by judgment? Judgment can refer to punishment. God looking at us, seeing what we're doing wrong, and and punishing us for it. The question is, is that what he's talking about here? And the answer is no, it doesn't fit the context. Judgment can also refer to the way a judge decides something. He renders a judgment on something. The right nature of his declarations or verdicts, he issues a judgment. I think that's more in line with what Peter's talking about here. We desperately want the world to see what is right and what is wrong. To see it clearly. God, if you would just show the world what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong, things would be different. And what Peter is saying here is that it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. He's saying God is already doing that. God is showing the world right and wrong, truth and falsehood. And you know how he's doing it? Right here, through us, through how we live, how we hold on to the gospel of truth, how we handle the word of the Lord. It is time for judgment to begin with us. As much as we long for God to make things right, we need to start turning that inside and saying, are we living that way now? Are we demonstrating this to the world because they desperately need to see it? And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And We've talked in other sermons that idea of obeying the gospel is Peter's way of saying, believing in Jesus. If God allows his children to go through difficulty to refine us, How much worse is it going to be for those who don't believe in Jesus, go through difficulty with no hope whatsoever, with no hope of the suffering even leading to glory? It is a sad statement on the situation of this world. Peter is saying that the world is moving away from God, doesn't want to follow the Lord or the Lord's ways whatsoever. And all too often as Christians, we say, well, here's the world and here's God. And we're better than the world. Look at how much better than the world we are. We don't do these things. We don't watch these things. We don't participate in these things. We're over here. And the world looks at us like, yeah, you're weird. You're different than us. But notice what happens. The world keeps moving away from God. And all too often as Christians, our standards move with the world. Oh, we still look awesome." We still look amazing compared to the world. And Peter's saying, Look, look back at the gospel. Look back at who God is and what he's doing for you. And when we look back, we go, Wow, how have we come so far? Let's realign ourselves with the gospel. So now we're living, we're trying to live out the holiness and righteousness that Peter has talked about. We're back over here, and the world's way over here. Now put yourself in the world's position, and they're looking back at us and going, Wow, you were weird before. You're really weird now. The more the world wanders away from God, the more weird we're going to look. And that's not, be careful as Christians, it's not that we are to set out to be a bunch of weirdos. It's that we are to follow the word of God. And when we do, media, government, culture will condemn us. How dare you judge someone's gender? How dare you judge their sexuality? That is wrong. That is abusive. These are the very things the culture is saying about us. And we're going, we're still believing the word of the Lord. It hasn't changed. And it said God created man and woman. We're not trying to be weird. We're not trying to hurt the culture. But what we're saying is we can't base our preferences on our preferences. We can't base truth on what makes someone happy. We have to base truth on God. No matter what the world does. And I do think as Christians, we need to be sensitive to the fact that the world's going to look at us and think we're weird. We need to be ready for it. We need to not be surprised by it, not lash out, keep pointing them to Jesus Christ. What we cannot do though is just change our standards because the world does need to see justice. And we declare God's justice in this world by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's tough. Going through suffering and difficulty is not easy. So what do we do? And this is where Peter ends. So then, verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Suffering. Peter says, helps us to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffering as we endure it and hold on to the gospel through it is a refining and a verification of our faith. It is something we can look back on to see if God brought me through that. He's not done with me yet. And I know he is good. And some of you, we could go around and you could tell stories of things you've been through. This was one of the hardest things working with youth when I was a youth pastor. They don't have those stories yet. They haven't seen that faithfulness of God. And it's why, as as those of you that are older, share your testimonies with anybody, but especially with the younger people. They need to hear it. Peter even says, those who suffer according to God's will said it often throughout this sermon series and i'll say it again those that teach that god's will is for his people to never have to go through suffering or illness or poverty are absolutely wrong it is a modern heresy that is so destructive in the church peter says those who suffer according to god's will God chose to put the people that Peter is writing to in a place where they are going to suffer for the very gospel that God has given them. I'm not saying run out and and go after suffering. I'm not saying we create a bunch of Christian brochures to draw people to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus so you can suffer. That's not the selling point. But neither should we hide it. God is not here to fulfill our every wish and our every dream. He is here to show us that our dreams and our wishes are short-sighted and he has something so much far better for us. So what are we to do? Peter wraps it up in a simple phrase that is not easy at all. Continue to do good wait a minute, my culture's turning against me, my government's turning against me, my family's turning against me, and my spouse might be turning against me, and you want me to do what? Continue to do good. If if I could stay at it another way, and I think Peter would be okay with this, continue to trust and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith must always lead to obedience. Obedience is an expression that we are trusting something beyond what we see. We are trusting in a different standard, a different standard of glory and shame. We are trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens, we will continue to live that out. Our response in suffering should not be to give up on our faith. It should be to lean into the gospel of Jesus Christ, trust God even more, and live that out in our lives. If you are a Christian today, you believe that the Son of God came and suffered in your place. The world persecuted him, didn't believe in him, twists what he has to say, accused him of things that weren't true. And you have chosen to follow him. Do not be surprised when you go through difficulty because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And understand that God never wastes those difficulties. He has a plan to purify our faith and strengthen it, to use us as a testimony to other people. When you experience suffering, don't run away from Christ. Run to Him. Run to Him. There is, in the Christian life, another surprise that's coming which, like suffering, shouldn't really truly surprise us at all. It is that this world with its standards and the suffering of Christians in it will come to an end. Glory is coming. Forever in the presence of God, never, ever again ashamed. That's where this suffering is leading. So keep going, keep trusting, keep living out your faith in obedience. The world may look on us with shame and persecution, but God looks on us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and says, that's my child. He's mine. She's mine. And I have a future for them. And that future, that honor, is available to anyone who would cry out to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, talking about experiencing suffering is not a modern way of encouraging one another. And yet, Father, I, I truly believe as the church and the world today, we need to come to grips again with what this looks like. Father, I, I don't mean to say that with all doom and gloom, and the world's falling. The world's been falling apart ever since Adam and Eve picked that fruit and ate it. And you have been sovereign at that moment, and you are still sovereign today. And God, I, I don't want to preach this message as some sort of hand-wringing frustration and anxiety but rather to lean into the gospel of Jesus Christ, to truly come to grips with what it means. And Peter is saying part of what it means is that the more we follow you, it is very possible the more we will suffer for our faith. And God, while we pray in your mercy and grace, you would lead us in such a way to avoid that. I pray, Father, that if in your will and your wisdom you know that's what we need and what the world needs to see in us so that the gospel will be displayed, then, God, we trust you and we will follow you. And I pray for anyone here going through a difficult time that is struggling to hold on to their faith, may they lean into that faith and trust you even more, knowing that you have a plan and a purpose. And may you gather around those, around them to help them, to strengthen them, and to point them to your word. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who has never accepted your son as their savior, may they hear the encouragement that they can know the glory of being your child of knowing Your purpose in every situation and You carrying them through according to Your will. In the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.